I've been doing this uh, soul detox idea, and the soul detox idea comes from this verse, at least it's the one we've been using uh, from the book of Genesis, and it goes like this. It says this, the Lord God formed you, uh, formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living nefesh, which is the word soul. That's a pretty powerful statement, at least for me, if you think about it, because it doesn't say it became a living body, although we know God made the body. But what it says, when he breathed breathed life into us, we actually became this living soul. And this verse and others we've looked at have sort of led to a, have this massive implications for us in how we see life. It's almost like we've been looking at life through the wrong lens. And the way we've summarized that perspective change is, is this. You're, you're not a body with a soul, but the way you were created was you're first a soul that happens to have a body. And that's a totally different way of seeing life because much of what we focus on in this life, at least when it comes to ourselves and to others, is the body stuff or the external stuff. That's what we look at to get our value in life and our position. So we look at age and weight and fashion and height and hair and wealth and brands and cars and rich and poor, white and black and male and female. We look at all these external things and nothing's wrong with any of those things. But the Christian worldview teaches none of those things make me more or less valuable because I was created as a soul, I was created as a soul, so the part of me that isn't external, it's internal. And so when we die, our bodies die. In fact, your body is on the way there now. Aren't you glad you came to church? You know, we're all, we're all kind of got that moment. And if you don't know that it's dying, I guarantee you if you're over 40, you know that it is dying, all right? There's this change that happens. Everything starts changing. And so your, body's, your body dies, but here's the thing, you don't die. You actually continue to live according to what Scripture teaches. You say, Tom, that sounds weird. No, I'll give you that. That does sound weird. But that's kind of what Scripture teaches. And so think about it this way. Think about the body as being a house. And so some of you have a tiny house. Some of you are working on a mansion and adding on. I mean, I get all that kind of thing. We're all, and some of us are living in a dilapidated house. You could point if you wanted to. Some of us are looking at a freshly remodeled house, you know. Maybe that's kind of what we did. Some of us are trying to flip our house, you know, so we're trying to find something else. But whatever house you have, that's just the body. That's just the body. But you're actually a soul. That's really who you are. You're a soul who happens to be living in that certain kind of house you got right now. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at our souls, but I want to look at it through this strange lens of of a characteristic related to who God is. And when you first hear this characteristic about who God is, it might be a little off-putting to you. You might be like, "Ah, I'm not sure I like that. And and you would be well within your rights to kind of come to that assumption. Here's the verse. It's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. The very first one right out of the gate. And this is what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. And then it lists some things out. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a... Oh, I mean, naughty God. I mean, you've got got like a jealous God. I mean, that's something that we did say, kids, you're not supposed to be jealous. Don't be jealous, kids. Well, God apparently is jealous. He's this jealous God. And that's sort of hard to put together in my mind. 
And this first commandment, this is the first one right out of the gates. Like, this is the one he wants everybody to pay attention to right away. I mean, the other one's like, don't murder and stuff. That's important. But this is one I really want you to pay attention to. I'm a jealous God. Don't have any other gods before me. You know, so this isn't, God's making it clear. It's like, he's not one choice of a whole lot when it comes to God's. He's the God, and he doesn't play nice with other people, apparently. He doesn't play nice with other gods, this God. He doesn't tolerate me or you worshiping other gods. So here's here's my question. Why? Why? I mean, is God insecure? Is that what this is? You know, God, are you feeling a little threatened that if I go here and bat down a piece of wood that it's going to make you feel insecure about your godhood? Is that what's happening? Why would you be a jealous God? <laughs> are you feeling threatened if we worship something else? Like if I convince this room to worship a table here, would you feel threatened by that God? Does that make you? Why does it bother God <clears throat> if we start worshiping something other than him? And the answer to those questions is actually a big deal. Because it's a reality that we aren't going to hear outside of a Christian worldview. If you believe we're our souls with a body, then what our souls do takes priority over anything else. If you believe you are actually a soul with a body, then what our souls do take priority over anything else. Now, I don't want to draw too hard a line between soul and body, but allow me to say this. If all of this is true then soul care becomes more important than body care in the Christian worldview. What it looks like in my soul is more important than what it looks like in this house. And how I'm taking care of the soul piece of who I am has more value and significance and purpose than what I do with this house. And here, here's why. Our souls, everybody's soul, believer, non-believer, are actually created to worship. Every soul is created to worship, even if you don't believe. Now, I added for those of us that do believe, our souls are created to worship the one true living God. That's what we, that's what we were created. But every person on the planet was actually created with this compulsion to worship. That's why humans are worshipers. That's what we do. You know, American Idol is a significant kind of glimpse into who we are. We love that idea. Worship isn't something we do. It's something that we, we were created for. And whether we believe in one God or not, we all worship something. Everybody worships something. And this is why we are constantly looking for people that we can place on a pedestal even if we know they're not qualified because we want to worship them. Everything from entertainers to athletes and even politicians just give us something we can worship, something that we can get behind and go with you. We're all looking for that. We have to have something to worship because that's how we were created. It's what we were made to do, all of us. And so if you start looking at the world you function in and look at the lives you interact with, you will see everybody's worshiping something. Sometimes it's a possession or a goal. I can remember a stage in my life when it was a car and not a very good one at that, but it was a car. Maybe it's sports or 
being successful in sports, or maybe you're, you're worshiping acceptance and your desire to be accepted above all else, or maybe you're trying to accomplish, so you're pushing and pushing and climbing and climbing. Maybe it's money, maybe it's popularity. And anytime our souls worship anything but God, our souls are drawn to those things we are worshiping. Those idols, and here's why. Ready? We ultimately desire what it is we worship. Ultimately, the thing you're worshiping will become what you desire. And if that's true, then what we worship is a big deal. What we worship determines who we are if I ultimately desire what I worship. What I worship determines what we do and why we do what we do. What we worship determines how we see ourselves and ultimately how we see each other. And what we worship determines why we live, what our purpose and our desire is. All determined by what we worship because we desire what we worship. Now you know, while we can have our lives so full of everything and yet feel so empty, and all of the things of this world won't satisfy that soul that was created to ultimately worship the one true living God, but we'll continue to feed it and find something to worship. This is why God said, right out of the gate, don't have any other gods, nothing besides me, just me. The first commandment God is actually explaining to us how life works the best for us. And here is the stunner. All that could be true or not true, you decide. I think it's true. But here is the stunner that sort of got my attention this week as I've been prepping. Apparently, there is something or even someone who is trying to get me to worship something other than God. And it can happen in such a way that I don't even notice. Let me share it to you in Scripture. This is Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to read the dot, dot, dot in my passage. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. And then it says, whether a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, which I'm assuming is like a rat or something, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up in the sky and you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the forces of heaven, look at this. Don't be... Come on, let's read it again. Don't be into worshiping them. Isn't that a weird word to put there? So what that's saying to me is, I could actually be lured into worshiping something than what I was created to worship. So when I look at all the idolatry stuff in the Old Testament, and I think, well, honestly, it looks kind of silly to me. I mean, how dumb do I have to be to worship a golden cow? I mean, let me put it together here, and we're all going to come and sing songs about a cow. You know, we'd all think, well, that'd be silly, Tom. That'd be silly. And some kind of pole, and put something on top of a pole, and let's all worship that. Some little figurine or the stars. It's just irrelevant in our world today. <clears throat> but here's the question I've been asking myself. What if I'm actually being seduced by something? What if my soul has been seduced? And respectfully, what if all y'all is the same place? <laughs> what if all of us? That's happened. 
In other words, it's not something that we would say, oh, this, but what if we've been seduced? And our souls are actually worshiping something maybe we're not even aware of. While I may not be tempted to worship a block of wood, what if I've been seduced into elevating what might be a good thing and I've now made it a supreme thing? Because now you're starting to gnaw on the edges of Tom's life. What if we've all been seduced to taking good things and making them supreme things? Because here's the reality to me, without even knowing it, I can lift things above God in my heart. And when that happens, I've got this seduced soul. So let me, let me say, anybody else in the room could say, you know, I've put somebody or some person higher than God. I've done that one. In fact, I, and to save myself some exercise, I've done all of them, <clears throat> okay? Just assume, yeah, Tom's done that one. Okay, here's one. Anybody put something they're afraid of higher than God? How about this? Anybody put a job or something that you've accomplished or desired to accomplish higher than God? That whole thing of, I'm going to get this come what may or whatever it takes. Anybody putting some need for affirmation? Anybody's kind of got some (laughs) sick idea of perfection that you're putting higher than God? Take a moment. If, if I forced you to answer the question, which I can't do, so I'm respectfully asking you just to engage with me. If I asked you, do you have anything higher than God right now, what would it be? Like, what could you say? You know, Tom, if I really processed with you, this might be the, my seductress. <laughs> this might be the one that could uh, maybe get my attention. Maybe not now, but man, there's something there that's sort of drawn me. What is it for you? What is it that's being higher than God? Well, for some of us in the room, that's an easy thing. Our answer is, boop, that one. That's what I'm tempted to. I want to be accepted by a member of the opposite sex. That's my thing. I want to be wealthy. That's my thing. Um, I want to be angry and remain bitter for my hurt. That's my thing. But for some of us, it's harder to discover it because we've been seduced. But maybe it's time for a little soul detox just to kind of purge the system, if you will. So how do we make a seduced soul unseduced? How do we make a seduced soul unseduced? Let me share some ideas for you to consider. Here's the first one. Let's start by identifying the idols in our souls. Let's start by saying, you know what? That's a potential game changer. That's an idol in my soul. Them liking me is an idol in my soul. Me projecting something I'm not is an idol in my soul. My family is an idol in my soul. Me being seen as intelligent is an idol in my soul. Me being seen as the source of all moral authority and passing judgment on everybody around me is an idol in my soul. Identify it. The psalmist says this, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and go to, go to the sanctuary, be in the presence of God, stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. What is it that we have elevated to a supreme place and something that really marks, ranks higher than even the one true living God in our lives? 
What is it that we're sort of hanging an identity on and we're looking on to for confidence and for acceptance or purpose? And here's what I've learned as I've sort of processed through this for my own life. Man, I'm good at justifying why I do what I do. I got a gift of rationalization, I think. <laughs> I, can, I can figure out how to make myself look good no matter what it is. I can bring all sorts of excuses as to why some things aren't, idle, aren't idols. And the reality is we can have some interest in some hobbies that aren't idols. But I'm guessing in almost all of our lives, there are these things that have become so important, they're actually dangerous to our souls. And we don't even realize it because we've been seduced. So what I want to do is give you three kinds of things to think about when you just say, is there any idols in my life? And identify what they are. Here's the first question I'd ask. How are you spending your time? Just think about how you spend your time. Don't put any spin on it. Don't try to make yourself look better than you are. Just think about how you're spending your time. How about this one? How do you spend your money? Oh, you're meddling now, Tom. It's it's going to get worse. I mean, I'm just going to tell you right up front. How are we spending our money? How about this? What do you spend your time talking about? Are you a constant self-promoter? There's your idol. Are you constantly putting other people down? There's your idol. If you find the vast majority of your time is always kind of focused on the same thing, or maybe you find your bank account and you realize, man, I spend a lot of money in a certain direction. Meet them. Or maybe you find yourself in conversations with people and it's normal, kind of you do the same thing over and over. Now, I don't want to, don't want to know what it might be for you, but I made a list from like someone I know really well that it might be true for them. I think some people worship the homes they live in. Not any of us, but people we know. True? Man, worship the house we live in. How about this one? For some of us, it's our image, both the real image and the one we put online. I got the best life ever. I got hit. I hit a deer, but I got to eat it. Yay. You know, whatever we put online, you know, I don't know, but it's image. It's all about the image. We just want people to see us a certain way. I'm smart or I'm dumb or I'm rich or I'm poor. I need help or I don't need help. Whatever. We had some image. Could be hobbies for some of us. I'm not even going to talk about that because it's too personal. How about this one? You ready for this? This is going to get an email. (laughs) For some of us, it's our children. Yeah, you're trying to raise a little perfect Johnny and Sally, and you're the only one that thinks they're perfect. <laughs> and that's so important to you. You're like, oh, look at what my child did. They pooped a unicorn. I mean, whatever it is, I don't know. But you're like, everybody thinks they're... Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But I just... <laughs> man, but if we're not careful, them ki- those kids, man, is, what a gift. But we can get seduced to the point where they become the idol. And if anything happens to them, or they get any, anybody speaks against them. And we like come out swinging. Some people worship the hurt from their past. I'll talk to people, maybe you know them, maybe this is you. You're still mostly motivated by a hurt that took place 20 years ago. It's what you're worshiping. You've been seduced. That's who I am. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yes, that happened, and that stinks. That was a bad thing, but it's not, doesn't define you. doesn't have to unless you decide to worship that. Some of us worship an ideal of themselves, which is hard to live, on, hard to live under, or of their families. 
Some of us worship a mistake. Ah, Tom, man, my first marriage, I made this mistake, and that's why I can never be any good. No, that's, that's dummy. You're worshiping that. You don't need to. You don't need to worship that. Here's one. I wonder if today we might be worshiping technology. All the old people are like, yeah, yeah we probably are. <laughs> and the reason I wrote that one down isn't because of the young people in my home. It's because of me. I think sometimes technology is seducing us. It's taken us away from the people we love. I find out that, you know, you took your kids to Chuck E. Cheese, but I don't know what's happening with my son across the room. And I think I'm sort of sometimes guilty of using technology as a way to check out of the room or check out of the family or check out of the relationships I'm surrounded by. That can be an idol. I wonder if it could be the pursuit of success in a career for some of us. Or maybe the pursuit of wealth, or, you know, it could go on and on. So, enough games. Let me just be transparent with you. Uh, Two idols that I have had to work at in my life. And I'm not saying I've, like, graduated from this school, but I'm pretty close, but not really. A couple things I've idolized too much of my life. See if you can relate. I found that I idolize the opinions of other people. Which is, like, a detriment to my job. So, so let me, I want, I I discovered early in ministry that I wanted everybody to like me and then I couldn't understand how anybody could not like me. You folks laugh at the wrong times and you know, you know that that's very hurtful, very hurtful. Man, one of the most broken times in my life was when I had to actually do some homework to dethrone this idol in my life, maybe 10, 12 years ago. I had to come to a point of discovery that I realized I couldn't be the pastor that I needed to be if I was trying to be liked by everybody all the time. None of us are called to live for the approval of people. We're actually called to live for the approval of God. Now, that doesn't mean we've got to be a jerk or a jerkette. I mean, however you say that. It doesn't mean we have to be that. But instead, I had to dethrone that idol in order to do what God called me to do because I realized I could never be the pastor you need if all I was trying to do was make you happy. Is that okay for me to tell you that? <laughs> Here's another idol that I, I still wrestle with, to be honest with you. It's not in charge right now, but it's always hanging around. And it's this. It's my need for control. Now, I'm not talking about like trying to control all the people and everything happening in my life. You folks really need help. I'm not talking about that. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm actually talking about control in situations that I'm afraid of. Hear me out on this. So, so I wouldn't say that people that I work with would say Tom's controlling and, or, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not even talking about things that at work or home. I'm talking about the things I'm afraid of that I want to control but can't. Not just in my life, but in the lives of people I love. So like my friend gets cancer. Unacceptable. I will control that. Let me fix that right now right? Here's another one for me. Hospitals, not of God. Those are not of God. Those are like sick people there and like, like body parts are taken off there. There's fluids in rooms and machines that I don't know. I feel totally out of control at a hospital. 
And which is weird that Lisa and I are married. But I still, I feel totally out of control in that setting. No kidding. If I go to a hospital, Lisa knows. She better go with me. Tom, you're 6'3". I know, I'm, a, I'm scared to death. Anything that is an environment that I don't control, it makes me uncomfortable. Now, how does that play out as far as idle Tom? <laughs> well, as long as we're in therapy with Tom, let me tell you how that plays out. Trust is not something I default to. So in our relationship, I don't always trust you. And in fact, if it comes down to me trusting you or me trusting me, I'm going to trust me. And that's fine because some of y'all are really nasty people. But it also goes over to my relationship with God. Here's what I've learned. Sometimes I don't even trust God. And when it comes down to whether I'm going to trust God or trust me, I'm going to trust me. Does that make sense? Because I've been seduced into thinking that God won't take care of you. God won't help you. And so I find myself worshiping something else. And as soon as I think I got that sucker torn down, it shows up again. It's something God's helping me with. So let me ask you, what is seducing you at this stage of your life? Because once we're able to identify what the idol is, or at least the potential, the scripture is laser-focused, crystal clear on what it is we're to do. Rip the sucker down. It says, tear it down over and over and over again in Scripture. It says, tear them down. This is from the book of Judges. Uh, it's a great story about Gideon, and God speaks to Gideon about the people of Israel, and his own family had invited idols. Look at what God says to Gideon. Tear down your father's idol to altar to Baal. Cut down the Asherah pole. It's another idol beside it. Now, this is, this is stunning to me because... This is exactly what Gideon does. In fact, when he does it, it's like he's opened a righteous can on the idols. I mean, he's, he's almost got this, he's almost reckless, recklessly rips these things down unapologetically. I'm not going to let anything stand between us and God. Baal's coming down, the Asherah pole's coming down. And there's this real sense of divine passion. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. Rip it down, rip it out, throw it away, burn it up. It's not going to be here anymore. Get radical. I wonder if the local church might actually experience revival if we finally got radical about ripping idols down. If we actually got, we earned our, our reputation of being weird. <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe not. This will be the last Sunday for some of you, I know. But wouldn't that be awesome if we just kind of got serious? Here's the thing. God never asked us to manage our idols because you can't do it. And neither can I. He says, tear them down everywhere. He never says, just put the idol to the side and let me be there. He never says that. He always gets finality to it. Cut it down. He never says, tolerate them, but worship me. He never says, dial them back, worship me. He says, obliterate them. Get rid of anything that's more important to you than the one true God. And we have to get that stance because if we just try to manage it, it continues to seduce us. I was running this week, which means I was barely breathing. 
And so I was thinking weird thoughts, you know, I was seeing unicorns, I was having a weird thought. But I got to thinking, what if our idol was a rattlesnake? Like for you snake lovers, a, a mean rattlesnake, okay? What if it's like a bad rattlesnake? Like a Voldemort rattlesnake. What if it's that kind of rattlesnake? And, 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 and it became what we centered our lives around. And so I said, this rattlesnake is actually what I'm worshiping. It's the idol. And I sit down in my living room and I put that rattlesnake right there on my lap with my children right here, my wife across there, and my dogs. And you all would say, Tom, you a dummy. There's a rattlesnake in your lap. Why do you let that thing hang around? Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I'll tell you what, I'll just set the rattlesnake over here on the coffee table for a moment. We'll just leave it there. And then we all start doing life, walking around the coffee table all the time. Hey, pass the popcorn. You say, Tom, you're stupid. What are you doing? I say, okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you what, I'll take this idol. I'll put it in Lisa's closet. You know, so that's what I'm going to put it in Lisa's closet right there. And that way it's in the closet. You're never going to know what's there. It's all okay. It's hidden. It's out of the way. And you say, Tom, you'd still say it, right? What's wrong with you, man? It's a snake. It's a rattlesnake who in a very bad attitude right now. And if he, if he lights into you, he'll destroy you. Fair? So I realized the reason I let the idols hang around is I don't believe they'll destroy me. Tom, worshiping accomplishment, it's not a rattlesnake. Really? Maybe you and I should have conversations about the families that have been lost because of that. You see, I don't think it's going to destroy me, just like the altar of Baal and just like the Asherah poles. We let them hang around, and all of us do this. That's my first inclination. When something's identified as an idol, I rationalize it or downplay the impact on me. I know some families in our body, our church, who realized as a family they're in front of their televisions all the time, And so they didn't get rid of cable, and they didn't get rid of satellite. They got rid of their televisions. Weirdos. Tom, how did they live not knowing what happened to The Bachelor? I have no idea. Real missionaries. Suffering for Jesus. They said, man, Tom, we're not going to get consumed by this box anymore. I know a family, get this, that's in our body who sold their home and downsized so they could honor God with their finances. Tom, that's weird. I know. And you're sitting beside them. I know people who realized their electronic devices were feeding their idol everything from distraction to porn and so they got rid of them they don't have a phone there used to be a day when none of us did dark day horrible day and we were all so much happier 
not knowing everybody else's political opinions, weren't we? <laughs> See, Tom, that's silly. Is it? Really? If it was a rattlesnake, you wouldn't say it was. I remember a time early on in ministry where I told the church I was leading, I'll give you three nights a week, but the other four are for my family. Because I wanted to give the church seven nights a week. It was a rattlesnake. So I don't know what it would mean for you, but if there's something that is more important in your soul than the one true living God, rip the sucker down. No games. Don't keep it in the closet. Rip it down so you can't go back. And when you tear down that space, here's the final suggestion. Fill your soul with God. Fill your soul with the one true living God. Once you rip down Baal or Asherah or technology or porn or relationships or whatever is ill inside, why don't you rip all that down? Fill it with God. I'm so challenged, I think, by these verbs. Yearns. My soul yearns. Look at this one. Even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. What would it be like to live like that? What would that be like? Beginning of the year, I usually write like a column or I get a, order a bunch of books. And the books are, here's what I want to do professional. Here's what I want to do personal. And um, personal is normally what I do to fill my soul with God. I read. I'm, that's kind of what does it for me. And maybe it's worship for you or painting or whatever. I don't know. But for me, it's reading. And so that's what I choose to do this. And I'll give you an example of that here at the end. Max Lucado, though, wrote this story a while back, and uh, he's a pretty good writer, but kind of boring to preach from, so I dolled it up a little bit for you, um, but he basically says this. He tells a story about one time there was a fish in the ocean, and the fish was caught, and so the fi- people that caught the fish said, oh, this is such a beautiful fish. It'd be awesome to put this fish on the beach so the fish can live. So, <clears throat> or Alabama fans. So anyway, they take the fish... <clears throat> So they take the fish and they put it on the sand. But when you put the fish on the sand, if you've ever seen this before, the fish doesn't look too happy. And so the people thought, well, you know what we need to do? We need to, we need to give the fish a nice little house. And so they bought this nice little house and they put the fish inside the nice little house on the sand. They laid the fish in the middle of it and the fish is sitting there with this little gill, you know. That's a gill. Fish still didn't look, at it, look very happy. And so they well, the fish must need money. I'll tell you what, let's give the fish a water cash and a bank card, a credit card. Let's give them a credit card. Name the fish. You know, so they give it to the fish. And the fish laying there with all the money and the credit card in their house. And all he can get is a little gill. What's, what's going on with the fish? The people start thinking about what's wrong with the fish. And they start thinking, oh my goodness, you know what? The, you know what? The fish doesn't have what we have. What's that? That fish needs a girl fish. Because it was a male fish. I mean, what, your story, do whatever you want. So, so they go in to get a Mrs. Fish, and they put Mrs. Fish in there, and they're laying them beside the Mr. Fish and the water cash. And the, how many of y'all are truly engaged right now with a fish story? Isn't this kind of weird that we're having this moment? But anyway, we've got this kind of house and this water cash and this credit card, and Mr. Fish and Mrs. Fish laying beside each other. Now both of them are kind of just a gill. They're not happy. 
Let's give the fish some stuff to play with. Let's give them a PlayStation. <laughs> no, no thumbs. <laughs> but anyway, give them a PlayStation and let, let's give them a social media account so we log them on. You can follow them on fish. And so that they log them on and they're posting about their lives and the fish just, nothing makes them happy. Maybe they could have a baby fish. Here's my point. You give the fish anything and everything and the fish isn't going to be happy. You know why? The fish was never created for the beach. Fish is created for the ocean. Fish is created for the water. I fear we could all be seduced into thinking that all the meaning and purpose in life is going to come while we're a fish on the beach worshiping something and all the while we're met for the ocean, the kingdom of God. So we spend our lives on the beach gathering this house and this water cash and this relationship, this status. And we're just dying because we were never made for that. God is a jealous God. We were made to worship the one true living God. And that's where we'll find life. So this week, in that little pile of books that I told you I'm reading for myself, fill myself with God. I ran across a phrase, and I've been using it to kind of identify some of the idols in my life, or at least the potential ones coming down the way. And the phrase that I've been using all week is basically this, is that I want to see earth through heaven's lens. I want to see earth through heaven's lens. All my stuff, see it through heaven's lens. My position in my life, see it through heaven's lens. My relationship with Lise, my three children, see it through heaven's lens. My relationship with you, as pastor, see it through heaven's lens. And it's really been kind of freeing to me because I've had some interactions with you folks this week where your life has really hit a wall. You've had something significant happen, and there is no reason for me to give you of why this happened, or why you deserved, or why it was uninvited into your life. But I've been challenged to see, he- see earth through heaven's lens. And as I've been doing that, God has been showing more and more times in my life, more and more areas where that could be an idol. Listen, there was a time Lisa and I were standing in our driveway, and there were some idols creeping in. And that day, we quit both our jobs and we moved. We tore it down. No going back. No going back, because we weren't made for, this, for the shore. We were made for the kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you for these good folks. Look at them, Lord. We've just had this intense conversation about idolatry. <laughs> And they've been so gracious. Lord, I wonder what's going on in the room. I'm sure some of us are ready to get to lunch. (laughs) But I also wonder if there aren't a couple folks that maybe you've identified the idol. Maybe it's something that happens in a computer. Maybe it's something that happens in home. Maybe it's something that's driving us at work. Maybe it's something that happened at a hospital. 
but it's become the idol. We were seduced into it. Maybe it's afraid of failure. It's become an idol. Maybe it's being afraid of being seen as a failure. Maybe some folks can relate to that hurt that they've been carrying around for years. It's become the idol. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would make that crystal clear to everyone in the room. And you would say, this is the place. This is the one. And then you would give us all the courage to rip it down. Rip it down. And then to rebuild, filling it with your presence, seeing earth through heaven's lens. Oh, how freeing that would be. Thank you for being a jealous God. Thank you that we were made to do life with you in the deep waters of the kingdom of God. Forgive us for settling for anything else. In your name, amen.